and welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast. It is beer, metal, and swearing. Of course, I am Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, and I am joined by my good friend, a man who's always welcoming, a person who's always there for you when you need him, Keefe Chillicothe, Ohio. How are we doing today, buddy? Not so great. Not the best ever. Um, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. We had a big one today, and we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get to that. And before we get to that, I don't want to be a off cutter cutter cord cutter whatever but uh in case you are new here thank you very much for joining us you have made wonderful choices and i am sure you are very well respected by your peers in the office and around town if you don't know what we do here is how it goes we greet we beer check we vinyl check we shirt check we get to news meat of the day the meat of the day this week is episode one of Exodus. We will be discussing the early formation of the thrash band Exodus, along with their first record, the seminal Bonded by Blood. But before we get to all that, we've got to get to our usual departments. So I am going to get this rig rolling with my beer check. This week, I am drinking a Deep Sleep Brewing Company. Oh my God, I may have made a poor choice. Uh, where dreams become brew, I'm getting scared, uh, drinking an RS IPA. It is a double IPA, 10.1%. Again, poor choices. This is a new microphone, so let me know if you hear the pop. I heard it in my ears. And the finger fudge down the middle pour, as we are known for on the Glacier Musical Podcast, creating that interesting looking malaise. What you got for us today, Keefe? We are having technical difficulties. This beer is absolutely unique. It's, uh, I will say it is, uh, inter- the flavor of my dinner, Long John Silver's vine- malt vineyard up fish is uh, interfering, but quite good. Did you guys go to the Long John Silver's or did you make a recipe? No, I went to Long John Silver's. I, we have uh, a couple in the area and I've been having, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm always honest on this podcast. I don't lie. I've had this stomach issue going. So I'm just trying to eat the worst junk in the world and let nature take its course. Wow, graphic. I think what you need to do is probably get some, you need plain food, not junk food. You need crackers, saltine crackers, a lot of water. It's not that. And uh, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's not that kind of an issue. It is an issue oh. where I feel like I have eaten everything. Oh, okay. So I've got a bowling ball going on and I just got to... <laughs> You ate a brick of cheese, and now the result is coming. Yeah, I so, feel a turtle head popping out. Hopefully, I sound right. much. Hopefully, I sound much better this week because I have <laughs> recently acquired a brand new microphone, and I feel like uh, I'm on NPR with the delicious dish. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll put a link in the description to that Blue Yeti microphone of yours. My Fafine is shitting the bed today, and obviously, if people are watching, routine watchers of the podcast may see that I'm in a different place. I'm pet sitting for a week and change. 
And so I'm in my, where I used to live. So this may be somewhat familiar. I used to do a lot of my ghost cult interviews from here, but obviously I don't have all my ghost cult banners and rock posters and flags and things. So I'm just here with a laptop and some lighting that you normally might recognize, but I hope yeah, you feel I thought, better, my friend. I, I thought Keefe became a yuppie. Actually, I'm doing much better. I am just eating all the grease, all the grease, and I'm feeling like myself again. So uh, what is your beer? I apologize. Don't be, I'm not. Um, yeah, we're not. We're not Amtrak yet. So uh, because I'm out of town and I don't have my fridge of beer, I had to go get a beer for this podcast. And I have one of my favorite beers ever. Again, not really a craft beer, but a Stella Artois, formerly of Belgium, now owned by InBev, who basically makes Budweiser. And uh, look at this giant beer for $3. This is enormous. Um, I love that. I love that. I, Stella Artois. I've got a somewhere in this world, I've got a Stella Artois glass. They were like giving it away too. for Christmas. Or yeah. you could choose to give it to somebody else. My wife sent me the link and she yelled at me. She's like, why did, why did you take it? Why didn't you send it to somebody else? Because it was a link for me. Right. Uh, you want the Stella glass, of course. Uh, I also have a blue moon glass somewhere in storage. And I used to put the sliver of orange in it. But let's do the pop. I don't know. My microphone is fucked. So we'll see if you'll be able to hear this pop through the headphones. I have no idea. Literally nope. nothing. And I don't have a beer glass because my friend doesn't drink except wine. So I have a water glass to pour my beer into. <laughs> a fit it, appropriate. appropriate. I, I actually was going to bust out a pickle jar recently and I forgot to. The foamy, frothy finger fudge pour. I'm going to take a sip of this beer. I love Stella. At one point before craft beer became a thing, like 15, 20 years ago, I would just hear Stella. So, I love Stella. So, no, no shame in Stella. Cheers, my friend. Good to see you. This is the happy hour of the week. It is the happiest hour on YouTube. Uh, not today, but normally. Unless we go right. an hour. Well, you know what? We are going to celebrate a legend and we'll get there. Not there yet. If you don't mind, I'm going to do a quick vinyl check. You're out of town. I'm guessing you don't have one this week. I was I was supposed to go to the record store to get my vinyl oh. check on right as the news happened that we're going to share in a minute. Gotcha. Go well, the good news is I'm I'm popping out two this week. So a lot of popping out of things. That does not sound good. I'm oh man. I, we're 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 into sitcom territory here with all the puns. Uh first I'm gonna drop the doors strange days. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with this one, I'm gonna get the cover really cl as close as I can without too much. There we go. The doors. Is very small. It's only on my, the left side of the album as I'm putting it. It's just a the very small photo of them, which is a concert photo in in the alley, and it's it's when you see this album cover on a CD or a cassette or God forbid your phone screen, you don't see that you actually can see that the, it says the doors. It's it's still very small. It's still very easy to lose, but you it's it's one of those things that you completely lose when you go to that side. Uh, I believe this is a first pressing. I'm not sure 100. I don't care all that much. You can tell that it is an older pressing by the label. That is an old timey Electra label. Hopefully you can see that. It doesn't have the the newer any of the newer. Uh, logos electra was a very very new label when they signed the doors and in fact the doors were their first big their first big mainstream hit and oops 
Record two, Queen, A Night at the Opera. $14 at the store in the wild. Couldn't pass it up. Also already in the Mylar. As everybody in the world but me will love. It has had a nice gatefold with the lyrics. This has Death on Two Legs, which Keithy actually mentioned last week. So quite a good record. Quite a good haul. If you hate Queen so much, why do you buy Queen records? I don't hate Queen. I just don't love you them. Seem, you seem to dislike them. At least dislike is a strong, I think, is a fair assessment. Uh, I think you dislike the band. Dislike, no. Overheard, yes. In, you know, in St. Louis, we don't have a variety of musical radio stations, and we have not had a variety for quite some time. And I'm going back to before streaming, before Spotify, before... Uh, anybody wants to get on me about that there was a time before that and I lived it so one of the things that we heard a thousand times a day especially after Wayne's World which was set in the Midwest which also you know anywhere in the Midwest we you know we latch on like brothers so a night at the opera songs from night at the opera were played constantly here in St. Louis and it took a long time for me to get over that I still have not and I know Keefe will like like to hear this i still have not gotten over having sammy hagar overplayed i cannot listen to anything sammy hagar besides van hagar the rest of it i i cannot i cannot hear so, as a rule do not do van hagar and do not do sammy sammy hagar is like a guy who should never become as popular as he did at all that may he be really, true that may not be true marginal, that battle today marginally talented Mm. somebody i don't know if you want to shirt check and then do the news and then uh beat. yeah let's shirt check it i'm rocking my iron man comic book t-shirt did get a compliment on this shirt in the beer store today um but i will tell you what i told him i only purchased this shirt because i needed a shirt immediately my my what i was wearing was dirty and i went into the store is that uh kmart walmart Asmart, uh, no, it was Macy's. Macy's is still a thing. Yes, yes. Uh, Macy's actually purchased one of our local, uh, one of our local big chains, famous bar. As we were driving to uh, driving to dinner this evening, the kid and I, I'm like, oh yeah, that's. I used to live right down there. I would go down this street to go to Venture. It was a chain store like Target, locally owned. And she's like, wait a minute, Target was locally owned? No. <laughs> It was a locally owned store like Target is a locally owned store in Minneapolis and like Target. But and then on, in the same area, there is also the spot of the, the old famous bar building, which was a four story anchor store in, you know, what's there now is a Mexican restaurant, a Walgreens, a PetSmart. But we then then two blocks down the road, there's a bar called the famous bar. And we still in St. Louis talk about the famous bar French onion soup which was sold there. So, you know, it's all, it's all good. We still remember what things used to be here. As I, as I take photos of us for sharing on social media later. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a fantastic shirt. I have similar ones for Thor, as you've often seen, my favorite shirt. Uh, it's comfortable, it's comfortable. I sleep in that shirt a lot. I have Iron Man also, but not that one. I have a blue one. I also have a cap one. Um, might be a Avengers, a, a 60s Avengers assembled somewhere with that too. 
Uh, I'm just wearing my good old suffocation shirt. Can't go wrong. This was part of uh, the metalhead box shipment that I got with a bunch of merch. And this is a fantastic shirt in my size. Cool, cool, cool beans, everybody. And my typical flannel, which is like my, you know, I wear it every day. It's like, I love the flannels. It's cool. It's cold out here. We're having horrible rainstorms for the last few weeks. The atmospheric flood, as they're calling it, in, in California and uh, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm north of the Bay right now, about an hour and a half. Uh, we've been just riddled with rain. Places are flooded out, underwater. Uh, my heart goes out to people who are screwed and struggling. I'm pet sitting, as I said, somewhere else, so I'm not home. My my place is probably fine. I live on the eighth floor of the giant apartment building. The United States of America, where it's either on fire or underwater at all times. Kind of. You're not wrong. All righty, let's get to the sad news today. <laughs> we can move on into a funnier Store, news story that I came across this week. As everybody knows at this point in time, I am certain we learned today that a legend in the genre of all genres has passed away. We lost Jeff Beck today. He was 78 years old. Of course, Jeff Beck worked with the Yardbirds, worked with Jimmy Page, worked with Rod Stewart, did solo. I personally, in memoriam today, played my favorite Jeff Beck album before just before we recorded on this podcast and that of course is amused to death by roger waters also still waiting for roger waters to do a record with jimmy page so he can have all three Yardbirds. but you know it's i'm very happy to say that i did see jimmy uh jeff beck live about five or six years ago opening up for zz top who also still as uh as dusty put it same same three guys same three chords and Jeff Beck was truly amazing that night. And I saw him another night, actually. I've seen him twice now that I think about it. I saw him also open up for Paul Rogers and someone else a few years ago with my wife. And if you did not see Jeff Beck live, the he is, he was, excuse me, the best way I can describe Jeff Beck as a talent and as a musician is he would come out and play an entirely instrumental set that would have everybody going champ clapping and cheering. It's not like Jeff, um, it's not like Joe Satriani or Steve Vai or John Five, all of whom I love and will see every time they come to town. But when you go to those shows, all you see are guitar players and guitar teachers. When you go see Jeff, when you would go see Jeff Beck live, you would see people who just love music. And it, it's, it was a more accessible, though not less virtu, virtuosic performance. Very well said. I, um, I'm devastated. I love Jeff Beck all my life. He had almost 60 year career, there's, except for Paul McCartney. There's not a lot of 60 year people around. Correct. Dolly, Dolly Parton, Paul McCartney. Jeff Beck just passed right before we started recording. We got the news. I spent the last hour kind of, you know, doing the social media thing, sharing and compiling and stuff. I saw Jeff Beck as one of my first concerts ever. So maybe seven or eight years old, like rock concerts. I've seen a lot of musical performances before that. But, um, and he get uh, no singer because we've ended his lovers there and back, truth, flash, all these things. Uh, you know, we don't have to do the whole biography right now, but like replaced Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds. Jimmy Page moved over to bass because they got Jeff Beck in the group. Uh, he was a lifelong vegan. I think we should mention that he was like an impeccable health. He just got off a tour a couple of weeks ago 
and he got like a case of meningitis by a spy mm. bacterial meningitis and died. I mean, just terrible. Um, I, I so one thing I want to say, you brought up truth and I've got truth uh, sitting right here, actually next to Beckola. And the thing about truth. And I know Jeff Beck isn't a name like a lot of the players that we've we've thrown about that he's worked with. People, he's a name that people know but don't recognize. It's that name we've heard. You know, musicians we like have, have thrown out their name. I guarantee you right now, if you go down to the record exchange on Hampton Avenue, if you're listening in St. Louis, grab one of the copies of Truth. I got one last year for $6. I think I even sent one to Duncan. And listen to that record go to the library whatever spotify however you want to do this you listen to that record and you will go damn i've heard this why not because it's played on the radio not because of anything like that but because every guitar player you love stole from that record jimmy page lifted two songs off that record whole songs and there's so much there if you listen to joe bonamassa you will hear Joe Bonamassa all over that record. There's John so Mayer. Oh yeah. Freaking the new, the new guy, Jared James Nichols, who has an album out this week, John Mayer, uh, Ed Sheeran. Like you hear Jeff Beck was a magical guitar player and songwriter. Oh, yeah. And I also just, if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, I page paid him back with Bex Valero. Right. Um, but also I want to say that, uh, you know, if you love Led Zeppelin, that is an idea that Jimmy Page stole from Jeff Beck and just Jimmy did it did it better. And Jeff Beck was like, well, screw this. I'll just go do a whole new genre of music no one's ever done before. Jazz fusion. <laughs> Jeff Beck, uh, Jimmy Page stole Led Zeppelin from Jeff Beck. He totally did. I Jeff love Beck. Led Zeppelin. And, and, and Led Zeppelin is arguably the greatest band ever, but like only because Jimmy is so smart. He literally saw an idea and was like, I can do it better. Like, you know, Robert Plant over Rod Stewart every second. Oh, Jimmy yeah. Page is a songwriter over, over Jeff Beck? Probably. Maybe not as a technical guitar player, no. Um, when Led Zeppelin started, the wider world didn't know that it already existed. It yeah. existed on Truth. It existed on Beckola. He heard mm -hmm. those and went, oh, there's my direction. Here's the map. And at the end of the at the end of the road is everything I've ever wanted in my life. And he got it. We didn't, got we didn't even talk about Beck Bogart and Ampisay and, and just so many great records, so many great collabs. And he was just on Ozzy's record. So technically he's nominated for a Grammy right now, posthumously. There's no so. one, there's no one that you know that does not love Jeff Beck, that has not worked with Jeff Beck. And if this is, you know, I, I understand that when someone dies, that's when there's a big to do. And I get it because that's when you start hearing these tributes, because we haven't talked about Jeff Beck on this podcast ever. It hasn't come up, but now is a great time to go dig in because there's so much. So unless you have anything else to say, I am going to move on to the lighter news today. Go for the lighter news. All righty. My favorite newsmaker hit maker kiss saver and absolute pyro messiah vinnie goddamn vincent the finger fudger from nashville 
is doing another one of his parties this weekend. And I didn't even know there was a party coming. Uh, YouTuber Heavy Metal Kitchen, who seems to be a lovely, lovely lady who loves music, loves cooking, does cooking episodes, cooking videos. She does music review shows. She did one recently where she worked with Dr. Fuck doing an entire review on 80s Kiss stuff. Great, you know, big fan. Uh, she is doing the catering for this show. Uh, she is not a professional caterer. She does not live in Nashville. She has never done a catering job before. She is going to make pinwheel sandwiches. However, she is concerned that she won't be able to make them properly. Okay. She is going to then make baked potato soup in a crock pot. Okay. I would love some baked potato soup. I love potato soup. Love me some Irish potato soup. It's why I was willing to go to O'Charlie's all those years because I want that goddamn soup. That soup is delicious. Some potatoes, some potato broth. You throw some chicken broth in there, some cheese. It's delicious. <clears throat> then she's going to do Italian one day because there's always Italian. Uh, do not get the impression she's ever cooked Italian food before either. So basically we have a complete amateur who has never catered catering an event a three-day event in nashville so she does not have any professional grade equipment that she can move down there how she's going to do this i don't know i'm going to wait for the reports next week just like the rest of you because we are all going to wait with bated breath i wish her all the luck in the world however if i personally were dropping 500 dollars to go to a weekend event and food was in the offing, food was part of the draw, uh, I would hope for somebody who is experienced, licensed, bonded, insured, and vaccinated. And we don't know that she is any of these things. I'm still stuck on, did you say Dr. Fuck? Yeah, there is a YouTuber named Dr. Fuck. Amazing, we have been fucking up. Because we're not named Dr. Fuck. Oh, he got Dr. Feet, Dr. Fuck in the electric band or something cool. Like <laughs> the electric he, mayhem. He is actually quite funny. He has done a couple of kiss uh, <clears throat> retrospectives that are just hysterical. I, I noticed but, you spent the majority of this segment talking about not Vinny Vincent because he has no excitement to offer, apparently. Okay, Vinny Vincent at the Creatures Fest was supposed to do X, Y, and Z. He did L. You know, he took he took an L. Oh, he did. And you know what? I, again, didn't even know there was one of these coming. So I wish Heavy Metal Kitchen all the luck in the world. I swear to God, I hope she succeeds. However, I mean, this is just so on brand for the 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 enigma that is Vinnie Vincent. You know what? In fairness, I am I am am expecting too much in regards to the food preparation. Because this is a man that made the made the salads for the first one. He made the salads and brought them. So unreal. Um, I do want to. I do want to add one final point uh, that has nothing to do with any of these things, which is just an impassioned plea to you. Um, I had the occasion to uh, trade messages today with Duncan Evans, the great musician and the co-host of the Department of Metal Antiquities, and this comes strictly for me and not from him, but I, I just want to make a plea to you, uh, the Department of Metal Antiquities, where they listen to records so you don't have to, because Nick chooses terrible records. Not please always. Stop, 
Please stop picking Quiet Riot Records, a terrible thing. Duncan's beautiful virgin ears. Okay, he, okay, okay. He's not complained once. I'm complaining on his behest. <laughs> Except he didn't beheist me anything. I'm heisting the topic. Okay, we've got one more Quiet Riot record on the list. Oh, my God. Why? It is. There rehab. are no good ones. They're not. I've never heard it. It's there's forgotten. So many, there's so many records in the world the you one, two could do. The, look, we, we're... We're always adding to it. We got some great ones coming up, I assure you, uh, that, and some terrible that, ones. That is a great podcast, and everybody that I highly doubt that we have more listeners than that podcast that is many times older than this one. But like, I do sincerely hope you all go listen to it. Duncan is a treasure. Nick does a much better job on that podcast than here, Oof. and um, because I'm, I'm I'm helping to steer this one in a better direction. But like, go listen to that one. But Jesus. Nick is what did this guy ever do to you? That's what I want. what what Duncan did to me was yes, Nick, I will do a show with you. Yeah, he he made make better life choices, Duncan Evans. <laughs> he does have new music coming out and a show if you are located in the Leeds, England area where you should go see Duncan play live. Because he's magical. He's a wonderful but, artist. I, I should say the one that came out this week was a classic episode that was not a new one. We could not record this weekend, so when that happens, I run a classic. Uh, yeah. But there, there's not a whole lot of Quiet Riot left coming up. Um, so let's see. We got everything. Are we going to go to Exodus? Exodus. Now, the reason why we're doing this, and it's going to sound like it's completely my choice, and the choice was mine. However, I knew that Keefe was going to be able to do some heavy lifting for me about... I guess it was a month ago now. I woke up on a Sunday morning and I was watching a documentary, which I have actually referenced quite a few times over the week since then, called Murder in the Front Row, the Bay Area Thrash Scene. And it largely focused on Exodus. And I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Exodus in the world. I have um, Fabulous Disaster on CD. Uh, I tried to buy Pleasures of the Flesh, but when I went back for it on original vinyl, it was gone. It was 30 bucks. I should have bought the damn thing. I went back the next day, grabbed Metallica, and then I was going to buy Exodus on the weekend when I got paid, and it was gone. I mean, that's a 1987 thrash metal record is not going to stay around forever or a couple of days, really, especially when there's people like me around that like, uh, anyway. So, and Paul Blaylock, Bayloff, Bayloff, Paul Bayloff, Blayloff, Paul Blayloff is Bayloff. Oh, like I had Bay Area. Oh, Bay I had it second time. I apologize. Paul Bayloff is a, or was, I guess I should say, a larger than life character. He in the in the Murder in the Front Row documentary, Gary went to his grave with another one of the members of the band, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. Who and they talked about how he was the greatest thrash vocalist of all time, even though he's really only on one album, which is the one we're talking about today, Bonded by Blood. And you know what? There are certain mixtures in this world, musical mixtures, artistic mixtures that don't last for a long time. Ben Affleck and Kevin Smith could not last forever because one is a star, one is Kevin Smith. And, you know, the I love Kevin Smith, but let's call a thing what it is. Ben, ben Affleck is an A-plus lister. He, I did rewatch Gone Girl recently, and I was, I was like, he directed this. Holy shit, this is a great movie. Um, and a great book, if you're interested. But um, 
then you have Faith No More, which their first album famously was fronted by Chuck Mosley. And Chuck Mosley was, man, he was something. But it, it's just not something that was going to last for a long time because he was far more unreliable, far more unprofessional. It's like the original Black Sabbath. Eventually, that's going to fall apart. Although that's not a great example because the other ones I've given are, you know, one albums. So we have Bailoff. Damn it. Bailoff is... And I want to talk about him for a minute before we move on. He is a legend. You know, I can remember in the 80s and 90s hearing the word poser. And by 1989, by 1990, the word poser became an absolute insult. And that was why I couldn't get into Norwegian black metal for a long time because no, those guys were not posers about burning churches or killing dudes or they, they were taking it seriously. It wasn't like a movie. It wasn't like listening to Carcass where, no, those guys don't even eat meat. I mean, that's just, they're vegan. No, those guys actually did that. And Paul Bailoff was exceedingly anti-poser, exceedingly insular, and he didn't want anybody from outside the scene joining or coming in. He was a very much a gatekeeper. And normally we would really look down on that, but it's kind of a funny story. So he kind of helped shape the Bay Area scene before he was in Exodus as a fan. He was like the lead guy in the scene. He was at every show. He walked down the, you know, Telegraph Avenue in Oakland and Berkeley with a giant boombox blasting heavy metal before there was thrash. He was a little older than all these guys. He was the dude who bought beer for the party. He was that guy. And um, he's the guy that probably know, should have been in college, but he wasn't. So he, he was, yeah. Well, yeah, he definitely, he hung around the college, but he wasn't in. He's a Matthew McConaughey in oh, yeah, a, yeah, Richard, yeah. a Richard Linkletter movie. All right, all right, all right. And uh, he is that guy. Um, yeah. He, he, and you know what? Every scene needs that guy. And that guy's fine. But what I loved about him was he wore on his wrists on stage and in the clubs and just wherever he wore on his wrists, these t-shirt strips that were turned into bracelets. And these, and these strips were made out of glam metal bands, rat t-shirts or Motley Crue t-shirts from dudes that walked into his, his vicinity at which point he then stole their shirt, tore it up, and wrapped it around his wrist. Like scalps. Yeah. And I mean, wow. And maybe he took it a little bit too far. Probably did. Okay, he did. But you know what? That kind of mentality is something that really shaped American metal going forward. In mm-hmm. 1979 and 1980, American metal didn't exist it was still a completely English art form. Metallica, Exodus, Anthrax, Testament, the big 17 of thrash metal, whatever number you want to stop at. They're the ones that took, and not just metal, but even up to that point, just being in music was English. Think about the episode of The Simpsons where Bart dreamed of becoming a rock star with Spinal Tap. His roadie is English. He's using English axioms. Because that was how we all thought of heavy music. That's how we all thought of rock. You know, it goes back to the British invasion. You know, 
then you get into the 80s and 90s where you have Americans singing in English accents or English singing in American accents, you know, whatever. But so there, I'm going to turn it over to Keefe. I've lost it. Oh, no, I was going to let you continue. Um, I will I'm say this. A little bit. I'll come back. I think it's really important before you un- like, okay, first of all, definitely go see Murder in the Front Row. Um, I would also it is recommend- on. It is on free streaming on Tubi. I yes, Tubi. I'm a big fan. I watch a lot of Tubi has amazing music documentaries. Love Tubi. Oh, watch yeah. them free on Tubi.com or Amazon Firestick or Roku. But Tubi.com for free, cast to your TV or whatever. Um, also, also get thrashed by Rick Ernst, the former producer of Headbangers Ball. Also did an incredible documentary. Uh, a little more universal than Murder in the Front Row, which is heavily Bay Area with a few other bands also also who just passed away bob nobandian the the famous zine uh, broadcaster and filmmaker he has two documentaries that i believe are on to be the bay the godfathers of bay area thrash or something godfathers of the bay area one and two i i've watched quite a bit of that that one is a that's a little rougher to get through the murder in the front row for for sure murder in the front row is brilliantly done it's made by adam dubin who you might know as the director of the Fight for Your Right to Party video, as well as uh, a year and a half in the life of Metallica and things like that. So uh, Adam is- Well, there you go. I interviewed him. Maybe I'll link that podcast here because I think that's a good interview to share. Uh, But also, also, let's just talk for a second about like just really quick and I'll try to keep it short. The Bay Area is infamous for rock music, classic rock. The where psychedelic rock was born here, if you're going to San Francisco, which to some people is their hell song, but literally a song pulled out of the ether of the psychedelic flower ch- children movement, right? The flower power movement. And so you had these incredible rock bands, The Doors, by the way, from here, or from LA, but basically became famous here. The Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, so many others, um, The Birds, uh, as well as got huge here, as well as others, uh, you know, Santana, which also gave way to Journey and other things. So also at the same time, the Bay Area is infamous for funk music, R&B, jazz. Bay Area is a huge place for jazz from the 50s on up. Um, there are still places and, and things named here for Billie Holiday and such. There's a huge uh, mural of Billie Holiday in North Beach where she's getting abducted by an alien spaceship. And I cannot think of a more perfect piece of street art I have ever seen in my life. So you have these different confluences of things, right? And in the more, you know, Bay Area has always been considered a little more affluent and nicer in most cases than the rest of the Bay Area. You know, San Francisco itself is a little nicer. The East Bay, which is where Exodus comes from, is a little poorer and rough and tumble. And so you got these guys from the burbs, places like Oakland, places like El Cerrito, places like, you know, that are now nicer, but weren't always so nice. And so you got three guys in high school, Gary Holt, Tom Hunting, and Kirk Hammett. And they all go to high school together. And basically Kirk Hammett got a guitar in his teens and he became fascinated with classic rock and heavy metal, proto heavy metal, you know, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and UFO and things, Scorpions. And He's a big fan of UFO. 
He's a huge UFO fan. I just had a tirade on a call right before this with another friend of mine where I was like, UFO is not by any means in my mind a great band. I think they're a very above average band that a handful of people really love. They have one great member ever who left, Michael Shanker. Uh, Eddie Trunk, for some reason, thinks UFO is on the level of Led Zeppelin. They're not. I've seen them live. They're a lot of fun. They have some great songs. I don't think they're a great band at all. And I wouldn't even put them in, in my top 50 bands ever at all. Same. For me, they're a lot like Whitesnake, except without uh, the acclaim. To, to me, Whitesnake is a lot better than UFO. A lot better. But anyway, um, I just may, it's also kind of like The Who. I just may not be the – I'm just a little too young for a band like The Who to be that important to me. And I think it's the same thing. If I was like 10 years older, if I was 60 or 59 and not 50, I might not – I might love UFO. Kirk Hammett loved you. Same about The Who. Absolutely same. I remember Gotta, seeing yeah. on, what was it? I love the 70s. Are you a bigger Who fan or Zeppelin fan? Okay. What that, kind of question is that? It's like, you know, that that debate has never come up. Two, we're talking about a 60s band versus a 70s band. It's just, it doesn't work. And three, it's fucking Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. Um, so anyway, I digress. Kirk Hammett well. learns guitar. He starts taking lessons. And he teaches Gary Holt guitar. Literally Gary Holt, because his best friend Kirk Hammett played guitar. I want to play guitar too. Can you teach me some things? So he teaches Gary Holt how to hold a guitar, how to make a chord, how to hold his pick, how to play rhythm, how to play songs. He teaches him extensively. Now they start playing. Tom Hunting was already in drum line and gets a drum kit and learns how to play drums. Uh, Bailoff is a little older than all these guys and not in high school. Literally a couple of years old. So Kirk Hammett is responsible for literally the sound of Exodus. They form Exodus and uh, they get a, fr- a couple of people come in and out as bases, but they settle on Rob McKillop also from their high school. I think he played sports uh, with Tom and Gary and uh, they don't have a singer, but they're making songs and they sound like proto heavy metal, not quite Black Sabbath, a little faster, a little heavier, a little meaner. They love Motorhead. They love Iron Maiden. They love Jewish Priest, but they're not, it's not quite thrashy. And then thrash kind of happens. Metallica forms, comes to the Bay Area to play a gig. Everybody in Exodus is there at the Stone, places like the Stone, places like Ruthie's Inn in the Bay Area that these movies talk about. And they see Metallica play and they come in like freaking rock stars. Brian Slagle books the first Metallica West Coast tour, handful of dates. On the strength of Metal Massacre, on the strength of one song, they didn't have a band. They knew three original songs and the rest were all covers. And it blew these guys' mind and they literally went back to the drawing board. Everybody that heard Metallica, I know this sounds like overhyped, it's not. Everybody that saw Metallica that night, they all went and made a band. They all started playing heavier. They all started playing faster. They all started playing power chords. They all started playing very tight compositions and making what became thrash. Exodus. It's also worth noting that Kirk Hammett and Bailoff were both big fans of Nawabum. Yeah, huge. Yeah, you can't even, understate even how, before yeah. Metallica got there. Before they were big, before bands that were not obviously, like I said, made it a priest and early Def Leppard. I know you argue about this. We may have to do a run just to prove you incorrect about this, but Def Leppard is every bit a Nawabum band than their I first agree. two records, two, two or three records. You said no to me before. Um, 
I have a very long memory. I don't remember. I don't remember that. I know now I do agree. I am not just shaped like an elephant. I have a memory like one also. So anyway, listen. So just really, so like this sound is coalescing and really Exodus suddenly surpasses on the talent of Gary, Kirk and Tom. Exodus surpasses every other band in this burgeoning genre except Metallica, right? And now Exodus has a sound that is theirs. Kirk is a voracious writer of riffs. And they start coming up with demos. They get Paul in the band. They start kind of playing everywhere. They become the biggest band in the Bay Area. They play, whenever they play a place, it's packed. It is literally murder, murder in the front row is obviously the lyric of Bonded by Blood. And again, it takes them a while to get off the ground. And in the meantime, other bands have come along, Slayer, Anthrax on the East Coast, Overkill on the East Coast, uh, Evil Dead in LA, other things, Suicidal, and their punk influence starts coming in. But Exodus is a band that starts becoming known. And it was not when they were going to get signed. It wasn't if, it was when they were going to get signed and become a thing. And I think a lot of people in the early days, between the just the personality, like Paul is not the greatest singer ever, but he is an incredible frontman in personality. Right. He's an he literally is the blueprint for the non-guitar playing thrash metal lead front man and, until somebody who could sing came along. And so much so that that he's part of the reason James didn't want to sing and play. He actually is the re he was so good and so commanding and so powerful that James is like, well, I'm never going to get there. So I think I'll just play guitar, which I'm really good at. And I maybe we'll get a singer. That's where that comes from. So. Kill em All comes out, and Exodus is still a few years away from having the record come out, but they start touring, and they start touring regionally, and they start putting out demos, and they play sold-out shows. So the tape trading happens, and the world becomes aware of this band. And again, they, they sign a deal, they write and record Bonded by Blood in 1984, and because of drama with the label and the band, the record doesn't come out till 85. So Which is time pretty, pretty, I mean, if you look back at, like, First Wave of Thrash, Metallica comes out in 83, and then most other things don't come out till late 84, early 85. I believe right. Megadeth's Killing is My Business was 85. Yeah, and... so kill, yeah, so Megadeth is still a little behind. The Legacy is a band that has no recordings, but is touring around the Bay Area, a future band that is Testament. Uh, Faith No More is forming in the Bay Area as like an art rock band with a little bit of one thrash metal guy who went, who is a buddy of James Hetfield and also went to like a rival high school of the Exodus guys, so they all know each other. And they had Courtney Love as the singer before Chuck, which is I find fascinating. Same. And I listened. I did listen to a, a recording of that. I've seen and the video. There's one video of her. Yeah, that's that's what I listened to, and it was just. It's like okay, this this is just no, not good. Yeah, it's wild. Um, she was actually writing the songs for that incarnation of the band. You never know what could have that could have come because I think Courtney's a genius, and she deserves her flowers she should be in the rock and roll of fame someday i would That's agree my, but I, i'm not my, not a fan but i agree that she is important so exodus starts like literally like the, they surpass their own demos they start writing songs about their life experience in the metal scene and they write this record and at the time I'm, I'm sure just everybody was stoked that this record was coming out. And I'm sure it sounded like crying wolf to something like our record's coming, our record's coming. And then it didn't happen. Especially since there was a, there was a year long dispute on the damn thing. 
And it's not the best sounding record, like most records of the time. They didn't have the benefit of going to the East Coast and getting Alex Perialis of, of Pyramid Studios in Ithaca to record their records. Or they didn't have a Johnny Z who was like a taste-making person to guide them. They did have a very important and influential manager, Debbie Abono, uh, who helped the band. But all the other thrash metal bands that we think of as Bay Area are not formed yet. They're, or they're just forming. Death Angel are in junior high school. They're just forming. Defiance and uh, violence are just forming in high school now, or they're just starting to happen right as Exodus is about to hit an early peak with the release of their record. So I just wanted to set that table because I think when if you've never heard Bonded by Blood, it's like this doesn't sound very great. But when you it's a grower and the songs are impeccable for a, a bunch of young guys. And granted, they had a few. So they had between 81 and 84 to write your, their first record and put out demos and play a million shows at all these legendary places. But they really cut their teeth. They really show why they were on par with Metallica as songwriters. They had this, like, Kill em All Metallica and even Ride the Lightning Metallica, as you will find out, is not much different than Exodus. And what happens, by the way, speaking of Ride the Lightning Metallica, I'll just add this in, um, is Metallica fires Dave Mustaine, and the first person they called and thought of is Kirk Hammett. They didn't ask anyone else. They asked Kirk Hammett. And Kirk Hammett thought about it for five seconds and told his best friends from high school, listen, I got the opportunity to go join Metallica. They signed a record label. It's our stuff's not even close yet. I'm going to go. And they, they didn't, they weren't, I'm sure they were disappointed, but they were not mad, according to Gary Holt. They just picked another one of their best friends, Ricky Hunolt, who formed the H team rhythm section and lead section. And if you add Tom Hunting, that's three H's in a band, very unusual band with three guys with a last name of H. And uh, Holt, Hunolt, and, and Hunting are incredible together. So I Kirk, definitely agree. Kirk takes a couple of his riffs to Metallica, most notably the rhythm to Trapped Under Ice and the Die By My Hand part of Creeping Death, arguably Metallica's top four songs. Like That is probably, and I hate the word, and everybody knows I hate the word, that is one of their most iconic moments, in, musically speaking. And Kirk Hammett uh, discussed Exodus on the year and a half of life the aforementioned by Keithy, year and a half in the Life of Metallica documentary. And I didn't know that. I knew Exodus a little bit at that point in time. But like most metal bands, we are talking about a very underground band. A couple of things I wanted to mention before we get too deep into anything else. The Exodus has sold 5 million records worldwide with 11 releases. So when you're talking about spectacular qual or spectacular sales figures, they don't have them. They have less sales figures than Ben Folds, who has sold 8 million records and has put out 400 records. But, you know, I would argue that they're just as good as Ben Folds in a different way. And they are, we, we think about Metallica as leading the Bay Area thrash scene completely forgetting that Metallica is not part of it. Metallica but they kind of are part of it, though, because they become adopted by the... They literally become... They do become part of it. Right, they become part before, of it. But there's not a cliff. It. Cliff says, mm -hmm. you got to come here. So they come there. They're still the same, the exact same band they were, except now the bass playing is amazing. It's, you know... It, Sorry, it, Ron. 
Look, I love Ron McGovney, but I'm sure he's a swell guy. I'm I'm bound to run into him around the Bay Area sooner or later. I have recordings with Ron McGovney, both studio and live. And I think we all realize once Cliff joined, the world changes. I have, uh, well, I I have a digitally still Night of the Rivet Heads, which is uh, no Kirk Hammett, no Cliff Burton. It is uh, the the other four, the other two dudes, and James and Lars, except for the last two tracks, which have Dave and Cliff. And those are the only recordings I'm aware of with Dave and Cliff. Mm-hmm. And once those hit, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I'm sorry, no, I take that back. No, it is Kirk. It is Kirk on the last two. But you you listen to the other ones. James hasn't figured out a singing voice yet, and Ron's bass playing adds nothing. It's just it just adds low it just adds low end. It's it's Cliff gets there changes it, but I I find it amazing. You know a lot of the bands you mentioned about being Bay Area music, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, blah 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 blah. None of them started there. They all ended up there later. Same with Metallica. Exodus, however, starts there. That's fair. Um, I'll I'll just add one last thing. There is a third Exodus era demo song that Kirk tried to take with him to Metallica and they didn't like it a song called Impaler that ends up going back to Exodus 20 something years later on Tempo of the Damned where Kirk comes in and helps them finish the song with Gary they're all still very close and you know Gary is like we were not going to become Metallica if we kept Kirk like that's never entered his mind he gets asked that question absolutely couldn't Metallica is the brainchild of two dudes enhanced by two other dudes and Fair enough. Exodus is great. Don't get me wrong, but only one, only only one person can be the king. You can have Fair princes, enough. you can have princes and dukes and whatever. Been watching a lot of the Crown and following all this royal shit way too seriously because of the Crown. But you can only have one Metallica. You can only have one Led Zeppelin. You can only have one Jimi Hendrix. And in metal, it's going to be Metallica at the beginning. They are the beginning and the end of American metal. Hopefully not the end, but you know what I mean. Fair enough. For and some reason, the dog is barking, so I apologize if you hear the dog barking. He's probably upset about something. And um, I don't know. He had dinner already. I don't know what he's mad about. Quick question. But, uh, Am I wearing a hat because a dude made fun of my hairline in, in the comments? Well, because I didn't wash my hair today. I think because you didn't wash your hair today. I don't think you're that thin-skinned that you care about the comments. I get called all kinds of names. Fat. No, Stupid, I don't. Talk you're absolutely too much. right. I don't. I don't give two craps. I do care about the guy that was mean to me on eBay today. But that's different. What? What were you? What was he mean to you about on eBay? I fucked up. I sent him a game. I forgot to put the the disc in the game. Uh, it's it was literally in the console that's still in a box downstairs, and he's just like, "What a ripoff! I want my fucking money back." I'm like, "Bro, chill the fuck out. I can send it to you tomorrow." He's like, "No, I want to return it." Okay, fine, whatever. It's just like, dude, calm down. Nobody's trying to steal from you. It's a simple fuck up. Mistakes happen. Um, the world is a vampire. And you know what? Dealing with eBay, just it fucking sucks. So always, if you're buying on eBay, leave positive feedback, even if they don't leave feedback for you. Because you know what? If this dude leaves negative feedback to me, they're going to kick down how many things I can list. I haven't, yeah, I haven't bought a thing on eBay in a couple of years ever since I got kind of semi-scammed. And I... I've been gun shy ever since, but like, you know, I'm not. Oh, really don't worry. They've got, they've got it. They've way leveled the playing field now. All you have to do is put up a little minor bitch and they will take the money away from the seller. 
Like all right, well, I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick, but no, uh, I get, you, I, get I, I paid for something that person didn't physically have yet, so that was um, my fault. I think that's my fault. Uh, they they offered a pre-order of a thing that was sold out everywhere else that they claimed they bought, but they didn't. And then he's like, "There's delays. There's delays. There's there's no delays. You don't have the thing. Can I have my money back? Well, now it's four months later, and I don't have to give you your money back. eBay, help me. And they did, so it's fine. Uh, I got myself scammed. It happens. So without further ado, now we've given the whole lay of the land. I would gladly lead the track by track on Bonded by Blood, which I'm pretty sure I vinyl checked not too long ago on the podcast. Did you? Uh, I obviously don't have it here with me, but I absolutely bought it this uh, in 2022. I bought a copy because they put a new vinyl copy out and I bought it, I think, from Brooklyn Vegan. Uh, back when I was better gainfully employed and had a lot of disposable income. And so I, yeah, it's, I'd show it to you, but I don't have it. When I'm back home next week, I'll gladly show it to you. Um, so if you like, I will lead the track by track. Um, I would but, appreciate that. Bonded by Blood comes out April 25th, 1985 on Torrid slash Combat, Combat the famous label for Megadeth, Metal Church, many other records. It is technically produced by Mark Whitaker. He is a producer of rock and metal albums along with Ken Adams and Todd Gordon, but I think they were more or less producers, sort of co-producers. So Bonded by Blood is the debut studio album of Exodus. It was completed in the summer of 84, not released for nine months. Nine months, it sat on a shelf and did not come out. Which back in 1984, that is the same amount of time. It's basically 18 years by today's standards. It, remember when we did the Monty Python run, we did a live record, which they put out, they recorded during the first week of the run in New York, and it was out before the run ended. Interesting. If true. If true. So, um, all music by Holt, unless otherwise noted. And Gary Holt, and I wanted to say this earlier and I forgot to, Gary Holt is probably the most underrated guitar player in thrash metal. He is a national treasure. He is a treasure. He is my favorite person in my heavy concert photography days. I photographed him many times with Exodus and Slayer, the two times that I shot Slayer. He is my favorite person to photograph at with Slayer, Everybody hoarded to the side of the stage with Gary and Tom. And I was all by myself shooting a hundred photos of Gary Holt. He is wonderful. He's my favorite performer in all of metal, bar none. And, I saw uh, him. I, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I saw him uh, with Testament. I saw Exodus with Testament, Exodus with Slayer. And when I saw them with Testament, he, it was uh, the drummer's birthday. So they had a big to do. He told stories about Kirk Hammett during Tom the Hunting. birthday party. And it was, it was beautiful. It was lovely. And I want to say this about Gary Holt, and then I'm going to shut my yapper. I'll plug my own face for a while. And because he has, his signature model guitar is not an ESP. It is an LTD, the lower model of ESPs. Not like, you know, the Metallicas of the world or the Slayers of the world where they have the ESP and the LTD. No, it's just LTD, and that is what he plays on tour. He plays the he plays his signature guitar on tour, which is something that I have always really appreciated when I see somebody doing that. 
he also has the awesome uh, artwork on his one of his guitars, the uh, created with his own blood by Vincent Castiglia. Uh, his very distinctive, not just blood splatter guitars, but that particular guitar, the white guitar with the blood mm-hmm. all over it, is his blood mixed with the paint that painted the guitar. Insane. Uh, and I've his blood. I've interviewed Vincent Cassigli. Uh He's incredible. So, Bonded by Blood opens with, surprise, surprise, Bonded by Blood. They should have named the band Bonded by Blood, but that's besides the point. They, I, you know, maybe. They, um... I just love the trifecta. I get it. Normally, it's a bad recipe for disaster, but this case, it would have been okay. Bonded by Blood. There is a me a newer thrash band named Bonded by Blood, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are many bands with the names of these songs, by the way. At least half the record has given songs, so like the song titles of this album have created band. Your bands have been created from. So Bonded by Blood opens the album, and it's literally about Ruthie's Inn, which was the home venue for for Exodus in in Berkeley on Telegraph Hill. And um, literally the lyrics of the song are about their, a story about one of their most infamous shows at the Stone and Ruthie's Inn. I think it's Ruthie's Inn technically. And uh, a girl girl was in the front of the stage to see Law's Rocket, the opening band is like a glam band. And uh, somebody put their beer glass down and there was such a crush of fans when Exodus came on that the glass became broken and Paul put his hand in the glass and cut his hand open and then rubbed it on the girl's face to her horror. I think it's in this this day and age, it's very unsanitary, but historically that's hilarious and awesome. Um, He was dealing with a lot of things that were way more acceptable than they are now. Let's just get that out there. Murder in the front row. The lyric comes from this song. So many things come from this song. It is an incredible, it is a legit thrash metal. It is on par, this song is on par with most of the greatest songs in early, the early era of thrash metal. It is better Um, than any song on, uh, damn, Show No Mercy. It is better than any song on Show No Mercy. It is as good as everything on Kill Em All, Save the Four Horsemen. Or Killing Is My Business. It is, it's as good as a lot of Killing Is My Business. I mean, Dave Mustaine, I think, we need to do a run there, but Dave Mustaine get, doesn't get the credit that he really deserves, but that's besides the point. So the song is amazing. It's lyrics by Paul and Gary, and uh, it's flawless. Do you have any other thoughts? Or are you no, amazing. It's, it's, and it's, you know, you had mentioned that this album doesn't sound very good. This album sounds amazing. It sounds perfect for this style of music. It's got that very much DRI kind of dirty sound that dirty but right dirty but right dri ends up moving to the bay area around the same time by the way um and is heavily influenced by thrash after this and um crossover not just punk but hardcore thrash uh second track in the album another bail off at holt lyric jam written by gary is exodus most you know that i have a, a, a aphorism that most bands they have a song named for the band or a band name for the song. It's almost always terrible. This is not terrible. This is really great. I'm angry. They could have done the trifecta twice. There is no album called Exodus. That's true. Just they could have done Exodus, 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 or they could have done Bonded by Blood, Bonded by Blood, Bonded. They could have. They. It's, it's. Look, they got two of the hat trick twice this week. Sucks. 
The double double, not a triple double. Ca- Candyman, right. Candyman, Candyman. It's Bloody Mary, but they didn't get her. Bloody Mary. Exodus is a great, another great song. It gives us the amazing lyric, the Exodus attack, which literally describes the sound of the band. It's so perfect. I can't even with how good this song is. I have very little notes for this record, as I mentioned to you before we went on air. This record, it's not one of those things. There's very little about this album where you can say, here's X song. And I go, oh yeah, that's great. Because to me, this is a piece. This is the kind of thing you should buy on vinyl moving forward. No notes. No problem. Um, The third track with a co-lyric by Holt and Tom Hunting, the drummer, and then there were none, is a song about nuclear war and the end of all mankind. Every Um, thrash band has that. At uh, least twice. Yeah, they were one of the first. And well, they all were one of the first. The one thing that Exodus does better than every other band of their peer group from this period of time in the world is they groove. Gary and Tom Hunting write these groove riffs and beats they really lean into this halftime thing the way that no other band has so far. Metallica does it in a couple of plays. You know, it's always a breakdown or a segment of a song. The end of Seek and Destroy, where they do the halftime thing. Slayer later on adopts this infamously on South of Heaven. That's three years from now. And, uh, and then there were none. It's like they have these amazing, just head-nodding, hypnotic groups. And that's what I love about this record. And that's what I love about this song. No notes. All right. Uh, another song about metal and moshing and the mosh pit. Another mosh pit anthem. A lesson in violence. They have a live album named after this song. And uh, I would say also I forgot to mention and that there were none has a great sing along, almost an Iron Maiden quality sing along for a band without a great singing front. End. Just throwing that out there. But a lesson in violence is just absolute badass. It's very, you can see like where Slayer got a lot of some of their early stuff, some more of the aggressive Metallica stuff, A Lesson in Violence, uh, co-written by Rick Hanolt, one of his few co-writes on here, and uh, lyrics by Gary. This one uh, actually was going to be the original title for the record as well. However, they couldn't come up with a cover, so they didn't do it. They did re-record this entire album and renamed it A Lesson in Violence after this song. So, you know, but still, this everything about this record so far has been, it's just been perfection. It has been, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly perfection for what I want it to be. The, the guitar solos are super soaker sprays. The riffs are great. There's a good groove. The vocals are perfect, completely melodically amelodic. Fair enough. I just want to correct you. The re-recording for 2008 is called Let There Be Blood, oh, which, al- which, al- which also features Rob Dukes on vocals, who I love and we're not going to really talk about in this series, but too bad because like he too. rules. He rules. I saw, and, when uh, I saw them the first time, he was... He was he yeah, was... and he's incredible. The, the live album you're thinking of is another lesson in violence, yeah, which yeah, we, yeah. we might talk about in the final episode. So, closing outside, one... Metal Command, another song about metal, because what you want from this band is songs about metal. This is Bailoff's whole life into a song. Holt co-writes the lyrics along with producer Mark Whitaker. Uh, Solid, probably the least spectacular song of the entire album, and it's still pretty good. Yeah, I I would agree. It is the least spectacular and most, which makes it the most memorable. 
which is fortunately unfortunate. This is uh, basically war ensemble seven years ahead of time. Sport the war, war support, sport is war. And you know what? And a lot of the dudes in the beginning of metal, especially American metal, a lot of the guys in American metal wrote songs about metal all the time. If you listen to the lyrics of Kill Em All, I apologize for even saying that, that sentence. It's all about metal and leather and spikes. And that's, uh, yeah. They, hey, we're all kids once. It's like that episode of Glee when they had to write a song and one of them wrote a song called My Scrunchie because that was the only real thing they had in their lives was their fucking scrunchie. Anyway, flip the record. Flip the record. And we, uh, we open with a song that is amazing. It literally has spawned countless modern bands in this exact style of song. Uh, it's not a tuna fish. It's not a grouper. It's not a crab. It's a piranha. <laughs> is piranha delicious? I don't even know. I don't think you can eat piranha, but they will eat the fuck out of you. Oh, yes, they uh, will. And Bailoff wrote this and named his band after Exodus Piranha, by the way. And uh, with good reason. Um, and yeah, you don't think of piranha as being hugely vicious, but what a clever song and title. And I do, but I watch yeah. a lot of Tarzan. Okay. Good song, you know. There, there, as I said before, there's not a whole... And I've listened to this record like three or four times. I mean, I have I put in the work, and I apologize for not bringing the heat, but I mean... It's I mean, great. this is really my... It's my jam. So, like, literally, I would... Even if I didn't... If I had picked the series, if I didn't pick the series, if I was a guest on the podcast and it wasn't my podcast... I would be running this pod, I would be running this episode. Like this is one of my favorite. Well, and I, I, I think that's obvious. I picked Exodus not because of how much I love them, but one, how much they deserve it, and two, because of that documentary Murder in the Front Row. And I felt like that, you know, it's it's time to get really seriously metal. We've done bigger artists, let's go a little more underground. I think they're still very working class guys. Oh, yeah. I, I love the scene at the end with the guy in the parks department when he's like, oh, yeah, dude, big fan. Like, I, I went to some of your shows as a high schooler, you know, like, even though he clearly wasn't a metal guy anymore, that guy they met at the park, the parks guy. But um, Piranha's well, ex. Yeah, Piranha's when, when, ex I, when I saw him the second time, they were playing at fucking Pops. <clears throat> and nobody plays at Pops anymore. Indeed. We, You know, once the pageant opened... It was the classy place. That was where I saw them the first time opening for Slayer. Slayer has outgrown Pops because they can go to the pageant now. Uh, although, personally, as a fan, I would rather go to Pops because they have two bars, not just one. Fair enough. I've never been. Maybe someday. Maybe no. with you. We'll find out. No, oh, I want, now I want no, to, though. I hope to God <clears throat> you get here from Metallica. We are not going to Pops. Oh, okay. Pops. Can, we go to Re- can we go to Reggie's? Is that in Southern Illinois? What the hell's Reggie's? You don't know where Reggie's? I no. don't know about Reggie. Okay. Where is um, it? What city? Uh, south of Chicago. That is nowhere near here. Okay. I just assume the whole Midwest is a giant glob that's all within a five-mile, five-hour drive. No, we are not I, like the coast. I've are- seen the, the Red Dragon movie where the serial killer drives all over the Midwest in a half a day and then goes to New York to into the art museum to eat the Red Dragon painting by William okay. Blake. Anyway, Chicago alert. six hours north. Okay. Um, the seventh track on, and the rest of this album, by the way, is freaking flawless. Piranha is great, by the way, to me. Uh, no Love, brutal, awesome song. 
another song about violence, <laughs> like <laughs> just another song about beating up people. Hey, Basically, it themes, is themes, themes. It, it's uh, the second longest song on the album, but it doesn't feel long. Uh, another riff fest by Gary. Yeah, this the I would. This album is not progressive. I wouldn't call this progressive like Metallica goes on their neck on their second record, but it never gets tired. It's a 42 minute, 42 minute record, which especially for, I would say, especially for a thrash metal band's first record, who are just, just a thrash band through and through, that is the perfect amount. That is, you have nailed the time lottery and it never feels long. It never feels forced. It just feels like it's just, here's what we're doing. Enjoy it. Sit back, relax. Indeed, indeed. Sit back, uh, the, relax, and get fired up. There you go. The penultimate track on the album is a quote the Green Goblin and Aunt May from Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire. Deliver us from or to evil instead of from evil, but the great play on words of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil, but deliver us to evil because you also need Satan and evil in your life if you're going to be a meddler. This is literally the handbook of how to be a metal fan in this whole album. It's incredible. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And uh, uh, co-write on the lyrics from Gary and, again, Mark Whitaker. Music by Holt and Hunholt. This is a very long song, but, again, another song feels epic and doesn't feel very long. It is Every, every great metal band has one long song on each record. Probably. If you probably. don't, you're doing it wrong. Whose fault is that? Is that Stairway to Heaven? Is that Zeppelin's yes. fault? Yes. Or Zeppelin, Dio's fault? No, it's, it's Zeppelin's fault because if you, we're we're in 1983, we're in 1984. These guys grew up on Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, and when you put Zeppelin and Pink Floyd together, you get mm. Iron Maiden. That's true. That's very good. Um, real quick, I just you you had mentioned Tobey Maguire and. I just want to say, Tobey Maguire is Spider-Man. Everybody else can go to fucking hell. And I only like the Tom Holland. I only like Tom Holland as Spider-Man when it's not a Spider-Man movie or when it's the last one. And uh, Tobey Maguire is there again. He I cried when he when him and Andrew come on to the film. I cried. cried I about I look I, uh, I I about peed and I mean every every form of human fluid that can come out of a dude. They they all started. And do I you, yeah, do you have a costume or are you going to go into battle dressed as a youth pastor? Anyway, it's Whoa. perfect. That's what he said. That's what Andrew Garfield said to said to Toby. I love you guys. Okay, Peter one, Peter two, Peter three. Oh, <laughs> Andrew Garfield is a treasure. Um, as is Toby. For the, the record, final, we we love the MCU here, as obviously we, we do, and kind of fuck DC and whatever James Gunn is trying to do because it's going to ruin it. It's already shitty, and now they're going to make it worse. Anyway, these DC, the DC, the DCU, they just, they just, they just. Moving on, we we'll start calling it the DC. Anyway, the, the DC pew, the DC pew. The final song on the album, <laughs> still the closer of just about every Exodus show. And sometimes the closer of Slayer shows when Gary was in the band, Strike of the Beast, an incredible thrash metal epic. Uh, Every bit as great as the greatest song on this album. It might be the greatest song on this album. It is a perfect show closer. It is a perfect song, album closer. It is 
incredibly thrashy, phenomenal riffage, great solo, awesome vocals, monsters, strike of beast, strike beast of the, like everything about it. I love this so much. What I love about this record, and I'm just going to sum up here, because I, I, I mean, you, you, I mean, you've given all the notes that are required and way more. I mean, the tires are pumped. They're 32 pounds per square inch. I mean, we got it. Uh, this, but I'm going to just throw a little more on the fire. This record is pure magic. It is, you know, when I, I think we forget now because these days new genres aren't popping up. They're not, we're getting crossovers. We're getting, you know, mashups where, you know, every new metal genre today is basically the mashup of Metallica and Broadway, you know, like, like you see on YouTube. But we're speaking of like and subscribe. And back in the day, you know, Death Thrash, you know, metal didn't have names. It was only later that New Wabam was a thing because you had Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and, you know, a bunch of other bands that nobody remembers. That was heavy metal, even though, eh, is it is, is Sabbath even metal? No, but that's besides the point. They're metal sometimes, they're not metal all the time. Scott Ian famously said that Judas Priest was the first band to be metal all the time. But that's after their first record. That, that's a whole other deal. And, you know, thrash didn't exist in my lifetime. You know, power metal, death metal, these all things came into being as in my lifetime, which is amazing to think about. When you think about rock and roll, acid rock, blues, it, it, it all predates us. It all, there is nobody listening to this podcast that is older than jazz, that is old in we're talking about a very young genre and it's rare that a band can come out with something like this, where they just hit everything. The first time they nail it. Metallica didn't do that. There are some really squiffy tracks on kill them all. If I'm being honest, not like thousands, but you know, very few, very few. Uh, and, and the, they didn't quite have a style yet. They were still figuring out who they were as a band. And even with that, those songs are endearing Correct. to this day. But we're not, we're not here to talk about that band. We talk a lot about that band here. Um, Correct. How much of the aftermath do we want to cover of Exodus, Bonded by Blood now? Next or week. save it for next week? All right, save we'll, save it all, we'll save it all for next week. I do want to point out that Mark Whitaker, man, it was a early managed Exodus for a while produced their first two records, managed Kirk Hammett, which is how he ended up in Exodus, but I think yeah, how he ended up in Metallica, but I think like he would have ended up in Metallica. He was clearly their only choice. Well, but they, they knew, knew him. Yeah, they knew him. Well, yeah, they had hung out together the first time Metallica played San Francisco. They went back to Bailoff's house for a party. So like yeah. he's it's very Exodus, incestuous. And Exodus opened for Metallica multiple times. They did. So it, it, yeah, they, I mean, they knew him. And they're, the they're, very, the, the very first time this is recounted in a couple of, I think it's recounted at Get Thrash. The very first time Exodus opened for Metallica with Mustaine, they were agog. They could not believe the ferocity and the power and the strength of that band, especially Mustaine. And they were a little confused by James. Like, why isn't he doing the talking if he's the lead vocalist? But um, they, were the astounded, they were astounded 
by Metallica with McGovney the first time. The second time Exodus and Metallica played together, Exodus blew Metallica away. And that's still with Dave. So just say it might have been drunk that night. I don't know. But um, very drunk. Um, and Exodus are not a big bunch of partiers. You know, Tom has had a cancer scare. Gary is now sober multiple years. So, you know, Paul's life was claimed by the lifestyle. He had a stroke. Uh, he was a partier. We'll get into it in a minute, you know, next week early. I'll start the episode with the host bonded by blood tour and hijinks. But uh, what a phenomenal record. Again, not my favorite sounding record, even of this era, but surely a masterpiece. It's got one week song. If you had to give, you want to save the grades for the last episode and, or do it like a tier list or do we want to grade them as we go? We can do two Because I'll give it a grade right now. I would give this an eight and a half out of 10. I would give this a nine out of 10, probably a, a eight as a sound and a 10 for the songwriting or a nine, five for the songwriting. So right I in the middle. Of it. I love the sound, but I also love lo-fi recordings. You know, most like that's why I, my favorite Metallica recordings. Sorry, we go back. But are, are the really lo-fi, like Lulu, I love Lulu because it sounds like shit. And I love Garage Days because it sounds like shit. It's I challenge you to go one episode without, I challenge you to go one episode without check. You can talk about Metallica all you want. Stop mentioning that album, Lulu. Stop it. Stop it now. No. If this was Con Air, I would write a note on your chest and push you out the plate. Con Air, Con shit! Anyway, uh, great album, great episode. We are going to finish right on time. And I am going to take us home. Take it's it. my turn. Take it, baby. You have been listening to the Glacially Musical Podcast or thank watching you. us. If you Thank you for joining us if you've been on YouTube. I really appreciate you, Nick. Really appreciate you. You can find us on all the social things. Nick underscore no underscore C on the N -I -K, things. N-I-K underscore N-O yes. underscore C. I thought that's what I said, no? No, you just said Nick underscore no. Oh, whatever. Uh, okay. so, what, what Nick said, at Ghost Cult Mag, at Ghost Cult Keithy on most of the things, Glacially Musical on Facebook, Ghost Cult Magazine on Facebook, whatever, if you still do these things. Thanks for being here. If you made it this far, again, you must be a real one. You must really love this shit and you must really care. So we appreciate you. And as we say every week, at the Glacial Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria, but perhaps somewhere Jeff Beck did. <laughs>